think I was, uh, I don't know, probably nine or ten. Our family uh, was heading out on vacation, the big blue Oldsmobile pulling the pop-up camper, uh, heading out west. And uh, I don't know, first day, maybe, maybe our first stop had to uh, uh, fill up the, the family truckster with gas. And, um, and, and since I was, uh, you know, maturing rapidly, I volunteered to, uh, to pump the gas. It was, I thought I could, could help out the family, right? And, and I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I do remember that my, my dad uh, said yes, and we got out, and he got everything ready, and, and told me it was okay to start pumping, and, and then he went around to the front, probably to wash the windshield or do something anyway, but uh, you know, I'd done it before, this was, wasn't my first rodeo, so, uh, so I knew what I was doing, and I grabbed that nozzle, and I stuck it in the tank, and I pulled the trigger, right? I don't know what distracted me, I'm not sure what exactly happened, but at some point, I turned, and the nozzle came out of the car. And uh, it's not a big deal, except I didn't have the presence of mind to let go of the trigger, right? Uh, I just held on tight. I, I didn't know what to do. I kind of froze. My mind was blank. Uh, this had never happened before. And, and all, of those, uh, all those things are flashing through my mind. And, and, and what appeared to be uh, hundreds of gallons of 87 unleaded are spilling out onto the cracked concrete. And, and um, I, I must have yelled for help. My dad came running over, asked me why I hadn't let go of the trigger. And at that point, I wondered myself why I hadn't let go of the trigger. That would have made a lot of sense. And um, so I let go and I stood back and I'm looking at this puddle of petroleum on the ground and, and dripping down the side of the car and, and I had gas all over my uh, bottom of my pants and my shoes and I was not looking forward to hours of riding in the car smelling those fumes, right? Uh, I have a vague recollection of my dad informing the gas station attendant that, uh, that we had a spill and, and uh, somebody came out and put kitty litter or some such substance on it as my father paid his hard-earned money for gas we could not use, right, that I had spilled on the ground. And uh, to this day, I, I, I can't stand the, the smell of those gas, whether that came from this or, or something else, but the, the gas fumes, that just, just gets to me. And, and I still remember vividly that feeling of, of helplessness as I stood between the car and the gas pump, holding tight to that nozzle, not knowing what to do. I have no idea what I'm going to do, what I should do, and what, what, uh, what would solve that problem. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do. I'm guessing that it probably wasn't pumping gas, but it, uh, it very well uh, probably is that all of us at some point have been in multiple situations where we didn't know what to do. Maybe you froze like I did, uh, or, or maybe you did something else. Today I want to introduce you to a man in Second Chronicles who, who didn't know what to do, but, but his situation was a lot more serious than a couple gallons of spilled gasoline. He's the son of Asa, the king that we studied last week. He's the, the sixth king in the line of David, and uh, he has one of the coolest names in the Bible, Jehoshaphat. I remember, was it I, one of our, it must have been Nick. He came after, after church one Sunday and we asked him what had been taught and, uh, and he told us that it was about Jehoshaphat, but he wasn't fat. I don't know whether he was fat or not. It does, the Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other, uh, but um, the teacher that day, maybe probably one of you, uh, had to- told him it wasn't just that he was fat and that Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat uh, I think one of the coolest names in all of scripture. 
Today we're uh, um, continuing our study of key passages in the books of First and Second Chronicles, and, and and we're discovering what it might take to experience revival or renewal in our spiritual lives to walk close with God. Uh, um, the the priest Ezra wrote these uh, books of history in order to chronicle God's involvement in uh, in in the the uh, the life of uh, of Israel, God's chosen people. He's chronicling this, but he's writing to uh, the, the people that he's pastoring. These people that are, are, have just returned from exile, coming back to the land and finding out again what it means to be the people of God, what it means to live close, to, to start over again with God. So Jehoshaphat, he's, he's 35 years old when he became king. He reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. So last week I told you that, that, uh, that uh, a couple of kings earlier, uh, the, the, the kingdom of Israel had 12 tribes. Uh, they split into the northern kingdom of 10 and the southern kingdom of 12. Uh, the northern kingdom was just a bunch of uh, chaos for, for quite a while. Uh, the, uh, the southern kingdom had quite a few kings that tried to follow God. Ezra uh, focused on stories mainly on those kings in order to set the example for these folks who come back from exile. So Jehoshaphat is, uh, is a, a leader of the southern kingdom of Israel in the line of David, and he, reign, he reigned as king for 25 years. Uh, Jehoshaphat's story spans two wars and a bad marriage. And we'll get to the bad marriage next week, but today I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where we'll see how Jehoshaphat handled one of those wars. It was really an overwhelming situation, and we're going to see how we might be able to follow his example. Jehoshaphat's one of the good guys. Without going into all the details, uh, with several chapters in, in 2 Chronicles, uh, Ezra uh, tells about him. In, in, in 2 Chronicles 17, he says, quote, uh, about Jehoshaphat, he followed the ways of his father David before him, and he also said, quote, his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. But even Jehoshaphat had problems that he couldn't handle. Uh, if you want to uh, turn on your devices or, or uh, in your Bibles, it'll also be up on the wall behind me, Second Chronicles chapter 20. We'll be looking at most of that today uh, because I really want you to, to catch the whole story. So uh, verses 1 through 13, we're going to dive in right now. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazaron Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in, in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, you are, not, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon you, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so, then, uh, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. 
our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. We'll stop right there, picking it up in just a little bit. But uh, even though uh, Jehoshaphat was, was, was a good king, doing good things, he'd prepared himself and his country, uh, all was going well, and he's following God, and yet uh, this attack uh, came in, uh, this attack from these three armies, and it's a surprise, right? Verse 3 says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed. That word basically just means he was scared or he was afraid. Uh, He was worried. I mean, you've been there before. You've been worried. You've been alarmed. Life has happened to you. Uh, Maybe come at you sideways and and you weren't expecting it and you thought everything was going great and all of a sudden something, you know, maybe you got that, got the call or or, uh, the test results came back or or you got a pink slip or I don't know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Uh, uh, Everything seems to be okay. You're following God. Life is good. And then... In essence, a surprise attack. Jehoshaphat, in that moment of crisis, uh, turned immediately to, it says, inquire of the Lord. That's because he was living up to date in his relationship with God already. Last week, we we saw that, that the eyes of the Lord are roaming throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, right? God is, is looking for those who are fully committed to him so he can strengthen them. We, we saw that last week. At the first sign of danger, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord because... Well, he always sought the Lord. It's how he lived. It was his, uh, it was just how he was uh, living his life. He was seeking the Lord in all things. So, so when something alarmed him, so when something came at him that he didn't, didn't, uh, didn't know what to do, he, he was going to seek after God because he always sought after God. His heart was fully devoted to God. So he sought after God and, and he also called for a fast. You don't have to answer this out loud, but when's the last time you fasted? I don't mean the intermittent fasting so you can lose weight. That's, you know, that's good and all. Uh, but that's not the fasting that the Bible's talking about. Uh, throughout Scripture, uh, going without food for a certain period of time uh, uh, is always described as a significant spiritual discipline practiced by God's people. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't know exactly how it all works on a spiritual level. On the surface, it seems like uh, maybe if you fast, then you get God's attention and it makes him do something more than just praying does. And you know what? I don't think that that's it. I think that's that's, uh, that's a a, uh, kind of a surface way of looking at it. I think that fasting is less about forcing God's hand and it's more about refining our focus. intentionally going without food or or without uh, something that we're used to uh, helps us focus less on the physical and more on the spiritual. And I think that's the the, the deep significance of fasting. We deny ourselves of something so that we can focus more on God. Jehoshaphat was facing a very physical problem. Three armies were attacking his country, uh, but his first response was spiritual. He called everyone together to pray and to fast. So many times we try everything else first, and when all else fails, then we pray, right? But what if we prayed first? 
What, what if you were living such an up-to-date relationship with God that you were fully committed to God in all things so that it was a natural progression? You're already calling on God for everything, so in whatever comes up, you're going to call on him because that's just what you do. What if you gave it all to God? Throughout this series, we've been looking at what it takes to, to revive us, to, to draw us closer to God uh, spiritually. And, and uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look back through those messages, prayer has been a, a common theme running through it all. Uh, a crisis can derail us so quickly in our spiritual lives. We can be bopping along, everything's great, and then a crisis comes up, and, and all of a sudden we just react and, and we go off over here, and, and many times we forget about our uh, seeking after God. This story helps us to see what it practically looks like to, to pray in a crisis, to, to give our situation completely over to God. And then it, it also gives us a glimpse into how we can then evaluate or know if we really have given it all over to God. So, so uh, today I want to give you a list of, of uh, ways that, uh, that we can turn things over to God. And then uh, later as we look at the rest of this, uh, this passage, we'll see the evidence of how we can, we can know that we've put things uh, in God's hands, that we've turned uh, our problems, our situations over to God. So uh, uh, the, the first thing, putting, uh, in, in putting our problems in God's hands... The first thing is to know your problem is bigger than you are. You've got to know that your problem is bigger than you are. So many times we think we can handle it, right? Uh, Jehoshaphat had fortified cities. He had armies. He had money. Uh, uh, he, he could have uh, taken these enemies on using his own resources. I mean, it, it was a little overwhelming, and he didn't quite know uh, how that was going to happen, but he had resources, and he could have gone out against these armies, but, but he was wise enough to know that the problem was bigger than he was. He called everyone together, they prayed, they fasted to, quote, seek help from the Lord. He needed God's help because the problem was bigger than him. You also need to know, and number two goes right along with number one, know that God is bigger than your problem. So not only is my problem bigger than me, but the God that I serve is bigger than that problem. That's a very important thing to recognize because sometimes we think our God is too small. Right? We got a problem and we say, oh, what in the world are we going to do in the face of this problem? And it's as though we think God can't handle it either. Jehoshaphat knew that God could handle it. The first few lines of Jehoshaphat's prayer were merely rehearsing God's attributes and what, who he was and what he had done. He, he, was, he was not reminding God of who he is. God already knew all these things, right? Uh, Jehoshaphat is reminding himself and he's reminding his people of who God is and, and letting uh, God know that he knows that God is bigger than his problems. Although Jehoshaphat was alarmed by this crisis, God was not alarmed by this crisis. Jehoshaphat needed to remember that and to remind the people of it. God is not worried about how your crisis will turn out. There is nothing that you will ever face that God isn't aware of and can't handle. You've got to know that. You've got to know that the problem is bigger than you are, uh, but that the problem is not bigger than God. God is bigger than the problem. And, and then the third thing is you've got to remember that God has come through before. He's got a pretty good track record. And, uh, and we need to be rehearsing these things and recognizing these things. The next part of, of Jehoshaphat's prayer is simply this. He remembered that, that, that God had provided in the past. 
God is the one who had brought them to where they were now. So, so many times it helps us to trust God in the face of difficulty by simply remembering what he's done already. Uh, maybe we remember how he's worked in our lives in the past. Or maybe we can read scripture and see how he's worked in, in the past in the lives of the people in the Bible or, or people down through history or, or the people in our, in our family and, and friend group uh, uh, where we have seen God moving in the past. And if he could do that, then maybe, just maybe, he can do this now. Ezra, who's writing all this down, knew that the exiles returning uh, to Israel uh, needed to be reminded of who God was and what God does. It's so easy to forget when we're face-to-face with a crisis. We get overwhelmed and, and, and uh, either we do all that we can to try to solve it ourselves or, or we give up and we think all is lost. In those moments, we have to remember who God is and what he does. Remember that God has come through before. And then the fourth thing is that we've got to take that step of making the problem God's problem to solve. And it's usually the hardest step. Uh, I, I love the ending of Jehoshaphat's prayer in verse 12. I've prayed it here with you before. Uh, you've maybe prayed it yourself. He says, we, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you been there before? I've, I've been there before. Quite a few times. Maybe more times than I, than I want to admit. Uh, where, where I don't know what to do. Hopefully in that, my eyes have been on God. Jehoshaphat came to this, this place of utter dependence on God. No matter, no matter what was going to happen, God was going to have to intervene because Jehoshaphat couldn't do it. And he knew he couldn't do it. He had to come the, to the place of complete dependence and trust in God. Our eyes are on you. We can't do this. I don't know what's going to happen. So we have to ask ourselves, am I really trusting God? Am I depending on God or am I depending on other things, circumstances, situations, or things that I can do? It means that we have our eyes on God and watching for what he's going to do. Uh, There's no hesitation here with Jehoshaphat. There's no doubt here. Uh, Jehoshaphat's relying on God exclusively. We don't know how you're going to do it, God, but we're watching and we're expecting you to do amazing things and that's the shift that's where we move from owning the problem ourselves to making it making our problem God's problem Jehoshaphat and his people could not have imagined what God was going to do we're going to read it in a minute what God did and they could not have dreamed it up Uh, they didn't know how he was going to come through for them but they were eagerly expecting divine intervention (laughs) man Are you, in your life, eagerly expecting divine intervention? Or are you maybe kind of hoping God might do something? Or are you saying, God, I really want you to do this? This this wasn't even controlling God. This this wasn't, God, I really want you to do this. They said, I don't know what you're going to do. My hands are off of it completely. This is your problem to solve. Do whatever you want. And then they eagerly expected God to intervene. We've got to turn our crises over to God and make them his problems to solve. 
And all that sounds great, and you can walk through that list, and that's good, and we can write in the blanks and, and fill it all out on the back of our bulletin and, and go out here, and the problem is that most of us, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing most of us are control freaks, and we like to control things, and we like to know what's going to happen next, and, and, and so uh, we w- like to know when, and we like to know how, and we, we like to think that, that, that we're going to direct God because we're, we're you know, good, good uh, 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 we can give him some good guidance, so, because he probably doesn't know all the details, and we do and so we can we, so so many times we, we we might give our problem we give our crisis to God and then we take it back right or we keep holding on to it right uh, here God you can take this but I want you and, and we keep how can we know that we really have put it in God's hands I think this story really helps us to to evaluate uh, if we really have uh, given something over to God and, and so I want us to read the, the 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 second half of this story to see what God did and to see how we know that Jehoshaphat and the people really did turn things over to God. Beginning in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehaliel. He, he was that guy. Uh, a Levite, the descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites uh, took up, uh, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that, they, that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Pretty dramatic stuff. Uh, how can we know that we've truly given our problems over to God? Uh, the first thing there we see in verse 15, you will not be afraid. If you've truly given your, your problems, your crises, your life over to God, fear and worry will not be plaguing you. Peace will settle down on your heart. Over and over and over in scripture, God's presence and his intervention is characterized by supernatural peace. Fear and worry 
have no place when God is in the room and on the move. And God is always in the room and on the move. Fear and worry have no place in our lives as we're following after. If you ever find yourself stewing over the situation, wondering and worrying, then you probably haven't truly let go of it. God told Jehoshaphat through that prophet, do not be afraid, the battle is not yours but God's. When we're still fighting, it shows that we think the battle is ours to win or lose. But if we've truly given things over to God, we can, we can have peace in the fact that the battle is God's. The second thing uh, is, is that if we have truly given things over to God, then, then there's still a, a step where we face the problem head on. Verse 17, it says, go out and face them tomorrow. Uh, giving things over to God doesn't mean that we just step back and we let him and we're not going to be involved. We, we still have to be involved. Uh, uh, we're just going to follow what God says. In most cases, we still have to be active, obedient participants, right? But, but as we follow God's leading, we're able to face the problem. We're not going to run from it because we're trusting in God to work it out. Uh, we, we have our, our little cards, questions to live by, and, and there's five questions on there, and I hope that, that you're constantly asking yourself those five questions as you're evaluating whether you're in a right relationship with God. Number two on that list is maybe, I don't know for you, uh, but, but maybe it's the hardest one. The, 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 the second question that we need to always be asking ourselves, am I trusting and obeying God in everything? Am I trusting God? Okay, well, yeah, I, I trust God. Okay, the, the, the next part it raises the, 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 uh, the, the standard a little bit more. Am I obeying? So I'm trusting God to do it, but I'm also going to be obedient to what he wants me to do. Am I obeying God? And, and not just in some things, but in everything. Am I trusting and obeying God in everything? It's, it's his problem to handle but we're also ready for direction to see how we can obey his leading in order to bring him glory. If you've truly given your crisis over to God, then you're ready to step out in faith and to face it head on, to follow his direction. The third thing is that you will, in the midst of all this, if you've truly given things over to God, you'll experience his presence. It says in verse 17, toward the end of that verse, the Lord will be with you. That, that, that really makes all the difference, right? Following God doesn't mean that the problems disappear, but that we have someone to navigate us uh, down the path through the situation. Psalm 23 is, is uh, so dear to so many. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I, I think it might be nice if we could change that a little bit. Because you are with me, I can avoid the valley of death, right? Wouldn't that be nice if we could, we could just change that? But, 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 but it doesn't say that. It says we will face uh, valleys and mountains and crises of all shapes and sizes. But when you do, uh, you will know that you've given the situation over to God when you can truly say you are experiencing his presence with you. You will experience God's presence. The Lord will be with you. Uh, the fourth thing is that there will be a song in your heart. Some of you, we want the song to stay in your heart, not be on your lips. We've heard you sing, and we, no, I'm just, just kidding. We really know that, that Jehoshaphat truly trusted God was working for them by who he put at the front of the, uh, the, the, the attack force that day. Uh, maybe you caught it, uh, uh, maybe you didn't. It wasn't the chariots, it wasn't the uh, infantry, it wasn't the bows and arrows, it wasn't the guys with swords, uh, it, it was the worship team. Uh, 
Uh, Jehoshaphat put the worship team at the front. Sorry, guys, uh, if you're, you're, you're right on the front lines, I guess. Uh, verse 21 tells us that they, had, they, were, they were already thanking God before they ever knew how things were going to turn out, how God was going to intervene. They were thanking God for what he was doing. I mean, it's an amazing concept. Thanking God in advance, knowing that he already has things under control. That's when you know you've turned everything over to him completely. If you, if you can't do that, then spend some more time working through that first list, right? Where, where we recognize that, that it's, it's, uh, it's God's problem to solve, not ours. We, we need to keep turning things over to him, make sure, because if we're not ready to thank him for whatever situation, however it comes out, then, then we're not there yet. We haven't turned it completely over to him. And, we, we need to see that he's put a song, he's put worship in our hearts. And then the fifth one is, is uh, maybe echoing the first, but you can rest. God blessed Jehoshaphat and his people. They even renamed the valley. They, it's the Valley of Barakah. If you don't know Hebrew, like I don't know Hebrew, look it up. No, I looked it up for you and I'll tell you, it means blessing. Barakah means blessing. So next time you're on Facebook, uh, you can do hashtag Barakah, I guess, right? Uh, hashtag blessed. Uh, it, it, Barakah, it's, it, after God intervened on their behalf, they renamed the whole place the Valley of Blessing. And then it says in verse 30 that there was peace. God gave them, quote, rest on every side. Being able to rest through a crisis, through a storm, uh, in the middle of the problem. That is an amazing indicator of whether you've truly committed your circumstances over to God or not. Are you able to rest, to experience that peace? Doctors and scientists are realizing more and more how important sleep and rest are to our physical health and vitality. And, and those who don't sleep well or, or stay up in order to get more done, usually we, we end up crashing later. And, and, uh, and, and rest is, is uh, vital to our physical health. But the same is also true in our spiritual lives. Experiencing God's rest is vital. When you trust and obey God, even in the face of your crises, maybe especially in the face of your problems, you can rest knowing that he will be working his will in the situation and his will in your life. Maybe there's not a more rest-filled prayer than Jehoshaphat's prayer as he, as he called the people together and they fasted and they prayed and he said, we don't know what to do. And so we're gonna scream and yell and, and, and revel in the crisis. No, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but we are eagerly anticipating divine intervention. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know if you're going to solve it the way we think you're going to solve it. We don't know what to do, so we're going to rely on you. This problem is bigger than us, but we know it's not bigger than you. And so we're giving it to you, making it your problem to solve. I don't know what your circumstances are today as you're uh, logged in or sitting here. But please know that God knows exactly what you're going through and you can trust him in the middle of it. Father God, so many things come at us sideways these days. Uh, So many circumstances that we allow to derail us in our our relationship with you. Lord, I I pray that we can experience that, that deep peace that only comes from turning everything over to you. We're we're not in charge of our lives, you are. 
You know exactly what's going on. Uh, you are bigger than the problems that we face. You are, you are uh, stronger than the circumstances, uh, uh, the, the things that alarm us, that, 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 that scare us, that worry us. So Lord, I pray that as you, as you point things out in our lives, even in this moment, that we'll recognize your spirit's voice and that we'll respond in, in commitment to you. Lord, we, so many times in life, we don't know what to do. So, our eyes are on you. We commit ourselves, our circumstances, our crises, our joys, our sorrows, and everything in between. We commit to you, asking for your amazing divine intervention. And Lord, we will be quick to give you thanks and praise in advance, knowing that you are working your will and your way in our lives. 